Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Riddles in the Dark Super Erogatory. This is Laura Burkholtz, and I'm here with the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. And the first thing we're going to have have uh, Corey do is explain what super erogatory means. <laughs> well, okay, so basically the idea of Riddles in the Dark super erogatory is that this is going to be occasional extra sessions to kind of go over the riddles, uh, talk about Conundra, and uh, address uh, comments, give people more of a chance to participate. I know that not everybody can attend our sessions live. You know, many of you are able to and, and are able to sort of contribute some thoughts and, and comments during the show live. And some of those, you know, many of those we get to and some of those we can't. So if we missed your comment or if you weren't able to attend and you still wanted to pitch in, I know that a lot of people would like to do that. So we decided we're going to do these extra episodes uh, in order just uh, primarily in order to emphasize and discuss uh, some of the really good comments that we get from listeners after the fact, but which we never get to comment on after the show because we've already done the show. Um, so that's that's the the, the simple idea. Um, this is basically, of course, for those of you who have been following Riddles in the Dark for the last two years, this is sort of a, a revamped version of the Riddles in the Dark digest that we were doing before, though slightly refocused. Um, uh, and with a new name, because I really... Uh, wanted it to be. So yeah, so it is called uh, Riddles in the Dark Super Erogatory because Trish suggested Riddles in the Dark Extra, and I thought extra was a boring word. So it is Super Erogatory instead, because uh, the word Super Erogatory means like going above and beyond the call of duty, doing performing works that are greater than those that are that are asked of you or demanded of you. Uh, and so that's, of course, what we are all about at Riddles in the Dark, is going above and beyond what is demanded of us. Um, these episodes will not always be quite so spontaneous appearing as this first one was announced a mere few hours before uh, the the first show, um, but they also will not necessarily be quite as regular as the, the main Riddles in the Dark episodes have been thus far this year. Um, so uh, they still may come comparatively without warning. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, so, uh, so, so be prepared. We are here to bring adventure back to your life. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Carolyn says that, uh, uh, they had a 4.7 earthquake, uh, in Northridge, California, about 40 minutes ago at, at, the, at about the same time of which she saw my Twitter announcement and took it as a sign that she should join in to riddles in the dark this morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we did arrange that. I hope that wasn't an inconvenience, Carolyn, but we did since the, it was, the announcement was coming at the last second. We knew we had to do something to get your attention. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Uh, uh sadly, I think you were one of the few. Uh, of the millions of people in California who really got the message there, but um, but we're glad that you did anyway. <laughs> so anyway, that's what we are about here on Riddles in the Dark Super Erogatory. Yes, that's right. And I do have an announcement. Um, because of some hacking on the site, uh, the comments are closed now on the MythGuard site. Um, so please post your comments on Facebook, or if you want to write more than... Um, then you can fit on a Facebook post or you're not on Facebook. You can send your comments to me at Burkholtz at MythGuard.org, and I'll spell that, B-E-R-K-H-O-L-T-Z, at MythGuard, 
Dot yes, it's been a, it's 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 been a rather exhilarating time uh, actually uh, with the Mythgard.org website. Uh, we've been under rather continuous assault by an army of robots uh, for the last uh, couple weeks. Um, I told my kids that, and my son was like, uh, "You're joking, right? You're not actually under attack by robots." I'm like, "No, no, seriously, an army of robots has been attacking us for several weeks." Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we've had to institute uh, some. Uh, rather severe new security measures. Um, one thing, of course, that I find is that Tolkien quotations are almost infinitely applicable to any kind of uh, situation like this. You know, I've been, uh, I, I, I can barely write an email, uh, to, you know, my, my, uh, my, my, my helpers and coworkers about this, you know, without quoting from like the Battle of Helm's Deep and stuff. So, um, yeah, Philip, I totally need an army of digital horns. I think, you know, that's, that's kind of, I, 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 I briefly in one of my emails compared the, the new situation in the Mythgard.org site, you know, to us like nestled, uh, uh, quietly in the valley of Tumladen with the eagles guarding, uh, the eagles of Manway guarding the, 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 the peaks around. But then I realized that was actually really not a good image. I, I don't want to compare Mythgard to Gondolin. Um, uh, so I'm going to, I, I, I immediately take back that comparison. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so, uh, so yes, we, we're. Would you, would you say it's more like Rivendell then? Oh, I, <laughs> Yes, yes, we're gonna a storehouse of knowledge. <laughs> a storehouse of knowledge that would make you Elrond. Exactly, yes, and it's and it's and it's like secure and very difficult to assail, even though it looks like it isn't. So yes, yes, uh, that's it's sort of more like that. Anyway, so yeah, we are sorry about that, but we have had to at least for now. We might later on be able to figure out a way to open them up again, but for now they're just too big of a security risk so we are um we have to shut those down but we do hope that if you if you either can't uh submit comments by facebook or would rather not um that you will send them in uh to laura and she can include them here in our discussions that's right okay well let's start off by reviewing the riddle for the first week so the riddle is who will kill azog in the hobbit there and back again and a was Dian, which is the book answers, kind of. B is Bayorn. C is a member of the company, including Thorn and Bilbo. D, a member of the White Council. E, a combination of two or above. And we have an F this time, uh, none of the above. And Corey, I think you said E, a combination of two or more of the above. Um, I am going to say B, Bayorn. Bayorn. Because to me, that is the book answer, yes. Yeah. Because Azog has pretty much taken the place of Bold in the um, mm-hmm. in the movies, so it's kind of like a reverse you know, edible thing going on there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think they've built up Azog so much that we can't have Diane kill him because Diane hasn't even shown up and probably won't have much of a of a role in the movies. Um, I, I think Thorne will be involved in killing him. I don't think Bilbo is, is going to be there. Um, I think, uh, I think it's going to be Bayorn. Right. You and know, that's my final answer. That's, that's a good answer. I, I you, you're, and you were the only one, uh, of the hosts to choose, uh, to choose B, which is, which is, which I guess kind of interesting that, 
none of us went for Bjorn, which is, in this, I mean, you can make an argument, of course, Dan we listed as the book answer, because, of course, technically it is, in that Azog was killed by Dan. Um, but you're right, mm-hmm. the fact that Azog appears overwhelmingly likely to be the, the orc general of the goblin armies at the Battle of Five Armies, um, that character was killed by Bjorn. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a very strong, um, argument to be made that Bjorn is, is in this, is in this other sense, the book answer. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and I think, I think Bayar needs a big, I think Bayar needs a strong role in the battle of five armies. So I, I can really picture him doing that. I think that would be, I think that would be good. So yeah. Yeah. Why not just complete the whole Azog, Bolg transformation and just have Bayarn do them in. <laughs> no, I think that's that's fair. It, and you know, you can even see there's a certain amount of uh, of of anticipation, perhaps, of that. I mean, I think of Azog and Bjorn, sort of his his dread of Bjorn, and uh, you know those scenes that we got at the beginning of the Desolation of Smaug when Azog was sort of seeing Bjorn through the trees and. Um, you know, obviously in some respect, if not outright fear of him, you know, I could, I could, I, I, you know, I could see that being, uh, a, a, a sort of logical buildup, um, to a direct confrontation between them at the end. Um, Brent says, and I agree that it would be a good conclusion to the Bjorn story. I um, mean, of course, uh, you know, Brent, we got so little of the Bjorn story really, uh, in the, de- in the desolation of Smaug. Though, of course, it's still one of the many things that I am holding out for in the, uh, in the extended edition, which I do trust will be at least five hours long. Um, but, um, anyhow, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe there's more and maybe, you know, that, that would be, especially not forgetting, as of course I, I never forget the Lego sets. Um, you know, we got that whole Bjorn at Dol Guldur Lego set, which didn't either got cut yeah. out of or, uh, you know, of, of, of the film or, or is gonna, not going to be until the third film. So, you know, that, that too, you could see that if that does eventually happen or if it gets included in the extended edition or whatever, you could see that as an interesting sort of middle point, right? You know, you get, you get Azog sort of skirting Bjorn and not wanting to confront him in, you know, near his own house at the beginning. And then we get, uh, perhaps a confrontation or near confrontation between Bjorn and Azog at Dol Guldur. And then finally, a final confrontation at the end. It could work. It could work. I can see it. I could see it. Um, yeah, Brent also says that he thinks Bjorn will pay a, yeah. play a part in rescuing Gandalf. Quite, quite possible. I, I, I don't really have any idea what role, you know, where, what we're going to get from Bjorn. I mean, we got so little from him that I could easily see us getting very little more, but, um, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, and Brian is pointing, or Brian Biggs is pointing out as well that uh, Bjorn does have uh, just as big a bone to pick with Azog as Thorin. So, um, you know, we we did get that need for vengeance thing from Bjorn. Yes, we did. Yeah, yes, yeah. we did. Um, so. But yeah, I, I think they. I don't think they can drop Bjorn at this point. I think no. they need to do something. No, no, no. And I, I, I don't think they're going to drop him entirely. But just sort of the question of what, as to whether or not. He is going to get what could be caught. I mean, you know, Brent said um, a conclusion to the Bayorn story. My question is merely, will we get anything that could actually be called the Bayorn story? You know, or is this just going to be a bit character who's going to come in twice, 
rather memorably and even more memorably the second time, presumably. I mean, one thing, you know, I would have counted it on my short list of, like, top five things that are obviously going to feature in the Hobbit films. Like, the, the instant that I knew the Hobbit films were going to be made, you know, one of the very first things on my list of things that I expected was a really awesome werebear battle sequence in the Battle of Five Armies. I mean, the idea that Peter yeah. Jackson wouldn't make the most of that is absolutely inconceivable. Um, so, yes, there's no chance that he would get cut. But, uh, but you know, but again, the question is to what extent his story will be foregrounded. You know, so, yes. so we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, when I... Um, you know, when we do, when we've done seasons one and two, you know, when we've gone back and done the review of the riddles, you know, right before the film comes out and stuff, usually I find when we do that, you know, I look back at the answer that I gave during the show and I'm like, gosh, I can't even remember what I was thinking. You know, like, why did I guess that? And I, I usually have to go back and try to like reconstruct some new reason why I did that. And of course, whenever I've done that in the past, in seasons one and two, I've had the very good excuse that I usually made the prediction like 10 months before, you know, but now I, I did mm -hmm. this. It was not two months ago that I made this prediction and I still can't remember why I chose E exactly. Uh, so if anyone can help me reconstruct my rationale, I'd be honestly grateful. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, 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 yeah. I'm sure I had, I have this suspicion that I had some very devious and complicated plot concept that underlay yeah. this, but I just, I can't, honestly can't even remember what the heck it was. Yeah, Trish, if you remember, let me know. Oh, because Trish, I, said, Trish remembers. Okay, yeah, yeah. Draw me a line here, Trish, I because I frankly can't remember. But anyway, uh, one thing I will explain, of course, the reason we have the six options for this one is that it, we're just trying to uh, trying to be inclusive. Of course, the one the one thing we have attempted to avoid, and I think by and large successfully avoided, is having a riddle the answer of which is just simply not on our list, you know, so that nobody could possibly get it correct. You know, we've been trying to structure these in such a way that one of our answers has to be in some sense construable as correct. Um, so, um, uh, so that's, uh, you know, so that's why we ended up having um, E is really the extra one that we threw in for inclusiveness sake. Um, you know, we have the, 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 list of potential candidates in A through D, and then, uh, you know, F being the, the none of the above, and then, um, in, uh, then E is, you know, what if, what if, you know, what if more than one person contributes? Okay, wait. All right. Trish is reminding me. I asserted that, given Thorin's story arc, he could not be the one who deals the death blow, but he would be involved in the killing. The death blow, you believe, will come from someone else. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. All right. I'm down with that. Um, Okay. Okay. Well, then that brings us to a comment by Rebecca Eagle. Yes. Um, yes. She says, I would like to lodge a formal protest against the way the answers are divided. Of course you would. There's an issue that is a big kerfuffle <laughs> waiting to happen. The killing of Azog by a member of Thorne's company being one potential answer, and the killing of Azog by two or more of the above being another answer makes sense. The potential kerfuffle I foresee lies in the huge gray area created by the interpretation of the answers, which could cause confusion for the judges. Um, so her example is that um, 
the E answer, a combination of two or more of the above, was stated by Corey to include the circumstances in which one character fights Azog, but he is killed by another character. Um, so, oh, actually, here's, here's the situation that you were talking about. Perhaps Thorin fights Azog, is unable to or unwilling to deal the final blow, but another character from Thorin's company, Bilbo, as postulated, takes over. I would dispute this as not being materially different from his death at the hands of only one character, since the choice not to kill him or failure to kill him necessarily precludes the other character, in this case Thorin, from responsibility for his death. So what would you say okay. to that? That's a, this, is a, this is a very sensible uh, distinction, as, of course, all of Rebecca's questions are, are sensible. Um, here's what I would say. <laughs> I would clarify by saying I don't, of course, just mean like more than one person fights him and therefore both should get credit for killing him. Because, of course, presumably Azog will fight with a large number of people over the course of the battle, and I'm not going to give all of them credit for killing him just because they fought with him. The kind of thing that I have in mind, what I'm talking about, you know, what I would think would qualify as 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 a correct E answer would be not... Um, okay, l- let me first explain what I think would not count as E. If Thorin and Azog fight, and Azog kills Thorin, or Thorin refuses, you know, like, knocks him down to the ground and holds him at sword point, but walks away and refuses to kill him. That is, if if Thorin in his mind is saying, I am letting him live, I am letting him go, I am not killing him now, um, but then somebody, but then, like, he rears up and, like, is about to stab Thorin in the back, and then Bilbo comes and, like, stabs him with Sting and Azog dies. Then, then I would say the correct answer there would be that Bilbo killed Thorin. Um, which under our, uh, under our list here would mean C, a member of the company, including Thorin or Bilbo. Um, so again, I would not be giving Thorin credit for killing Azog. He, he might be said to, to defeat him in that sense, but he would not have killed him. He would have turned away from killing him. So in that, I agree with Rebecca. The kind of thing I have in mind would be if, uh, if, like, the similar situation happens, but instead of him holding him at sword point and choosing to let him go, believing that he will live, um, if instead of that, he, uh, he, like, actually deals to Azog a mortal wound from which he either believes he has killed him or is certain to kill him, like he has driven a spear entirely through his body, for instance, and then there's one of those, like, excellent semi-Shakespearean, semi-horror movie moments where, like, the <laughs> the Azog you thought was dead, still bearing a mortal wound, rears up and is about to stab Thorin in the back, and then Bilbo finally oh takes his head off yeah. or something. That would be a combination, clearly, of the two. Um, another th- well, Sorry. I just thought of of an analogy is like uh, Mary and Eowyn right. killing the Witch King. Right, that too would be an example of a combination where the two of them have to be involved, and if the two of them aren't involved, again, this is not just like he fought more than one person, right? Like Theoden doesn't count in the killing of the Witch King. Theoden is not is not <laughs> does not get credit for that kill, but Mary and Eowyn are both necessary in order for that to happen. Now, for something to be exactly like that you know, would be really difficult because of, of yeah. course, the peculiarity of the situation with the Witch King. But um, but still, yeah, that 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 kind of thing. I mean, there has to be, like, a clear a clear assist. You know, like, if the only way that more than one person would get credit for it is if is if, 
you know, both people are like substantively involved in the actual death of uh of that person not just like oh i warmed him up for you or i gave him a wound which would very likely have turned septic and killed him later on if you hadn't cut his head off later so i should get credit too <laughs> like, that's not what i'm talking about so um so yeah it's i mean i i i, I can so agree people. there might be some gray area there but i think it's something we can all talk through together afterwards and we'll be the subject of 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 uh of excellent and entertaining discussion later on okay well, that's that's fair enough. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on to Stephen Johnson's comment. Um, I feel like you talked more about violence than action. I feel like the whole film was filled with a sense of urgency at the expense of calm moments. For example, I thought the party got lost way too quickly. Really, after all that caution Gandalf gives them and they take the wrong trail after five steps? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, there's a lot. there's a lot of action... Um, not just violence, but there's a, but there's a lot of things going on. But, you know, I, on the other hand, I would argue that in Hollywood movies of today, you've got to have a lot of action. You know, it, it, the calm moments in the first film, The Unexpected Journey, people said, oh, it's too slow and it's too right. boring. Right, you exactly. Know, uh, there was five seconds where somebody wasn't being killed. People so. are hard to please, aren't they? You know, and that was the big comment about the first mm-hmm. film. Oh, it was so slow. Oh, gosh, it took so long to unfold. And then, the, you know, in the second film, they're like, too much action, it's too fast moving. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at the same time, however, I, I mean, I, I do agree with Stephen's point I, that there was there were there were fewer moments. I wouldn't say none. Um, you know, for instance, one of my favorite, you know, one of the moment that uh, Dave has pointed to several times as you know his favorite moment in the Desolation of Smaug, the uh, the prison conversation between Kiwi and Toriel. Um, that was a great example of mm-hmm. a calm and and quiet moment. Um, in fact, in some ways, the entire Kiwi Toriel subplot contributed a great break from action. Something which was, you know, it was one of the only elements of the story that wasn't action driven. I mean, there was even action involved at various points, like Kiwi's injury, of course, but, uh, and, 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 you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the sort of rescue. But, but still, I mean, that was, that was one of the only elements of the story that was not centered on action. Um, the other being, to some extent, yes. Bard's story. But, but anyway, I, I mean, I, I so, I think that there were some of those, some of these things. I would also add. I mean, you're 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 right. I think uh, you know, Laura, about the sort of the high standard for uh, action sequences. You know that, uh, um, and you know, and I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, I. Uh, I'm a fan of action movies in general, so it's, you know, I mean, I have, it's not that I'm entirely ignorant on this subject, but I don't, um, you know, I mean, I certainly don't have, uh, have expertise in the film area and can really comment on the history and development of film, uh, in this way with any, with any real experience. But, um, but I will say there does seem to be a movement away from sort of stock action sequences. You know, there used to be, uh, in action movies, you know, a couple decades ago, you know, it, it, it was so this fairly predictable pattern of like, now we shall do a chase scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes. and you know, so th- 
wanting to sort of mix things up and do things kind of unexpectedly and the way that they uh they have th- i mean even like for instance the way that the the battle of helm's deep how long that was and the different sort of portions of it um and how that scene you know sort of continuously unfolded um you know that was a lot of unrelenting action uh in the two towers um but, you know, I thought that worked pretty well uh, in that film. Um, the other thing I would say is that it's more than just sort of trends in action films or anything. Um, a lot of this, I think, has to do with the limitations of film. Uh, thinking, uh, thinking, for instance, yeah. of Stephen's example about their, how quickly they got lost in Mirkwood. Well, what, el- what else is there to talk about in Mirkwood? That is, I mean... Okay, yes, they walk through Mirkwood. Think of the time in the book when they're walking through Mirkwood and they're not lost. Or they're not crossing, you know, we've we've got the crossing of the Magic River, which of course we we lost, which we sort of expected to lose um, in the film. We, uh, you know, they get the incident with the elves and then the capture by the spiders. But the time of their actually walking through, I mean, yes, they walk through the forest for quite some time, you know, for weeks before they finally lose the path. But that gets described relatively briefly. I can, if you take out the description of the actual incidents, you know, what you could call the action sequences, the crossing of yeah. the river, um, the bursting into the elven rings and the capture mm-hmm. by the spiders. The rest of that description only takes a few paragraphs. And those paragraphs are exactly the kind of thing that you can't it's hard to do well on film um you know to convey well they did in the first movie they did pause and um have Balin tell his story about thorin so you could do something like that but they already did that in the first movie right right yeah yeah exactly i mean it's 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 hard i mean you can it's not that you can't convey a sense of like and then this dragged on for a long, long time, and lots of time went by. You can convey that on film. I'm not saying it's impossible to do. Um, but, you know, if you do, you have a risk that lots of critics are going to say the film is slow-moving. Um, you know, so it, it, in that sense, it's not at all shocking to me that they kind of jump to the, to, the, to the end thing. I mean, I don't know. To me, in part, also, the whole thing about Mirkwood was already kind of undermined by the 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 sort of thing that we've sort of made a running joke of uh in the Peter Jackson films which is the the the, the contraction of time and space um <laughs> i mean i was prepared for any amount of for any amount of compression into action when i learned that they were fixing the house mirkwood in under a week uh so you know i was like well yeah of course we can't yeah. we, we I certainly wasn't expecting a sequence where they were going out, where they were crossing the forest until they were, uh, desperately thirsty and, and, and at risk of starvation because they didn't have time to starve. It was, it was only a week until Duran's day. You know, starvation was the least of their concerns. Um, so, you know, I, again, yeah. that just kind of took that out for that particular instance. But, um, but again, I, it's, I don't think that there were no respites. Because, uh, you know, there, I, the film didn't seem to me breathless in that way. This is why, as far, you know, this is why, you know, this sort of, I guess, in a sense, is my answer to Stephen's initial comment about, you know, the fact that we talked more about violence than action, because in some ways I felt that that was, um, that that was a greater, uh, 
sort of issue for me uh, in the film. But I would like to address something that that yeah. Carolyn was just saying, which I think is 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 very relevant mm-hmm. and so and 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 a criticism that I share. Yes. Um, she said, "I expect some action or violence, but I didn't like the totally unbelievable action that's like video uh, that's like a video game action scene, like in the first movie with the bridge collapse sequence where we enter a physics free zone." Uh, I I too have problems with that, yes. and you know, Carolyn, all I can say there is that seems to me simply a sort of style question almost almost something that i would compare to uh to tone you know uh, to you know to yeah to like tone and register uh in a book um the tone of the action sequences was of a particular kind different from the majority uh, of the action sequences in, say, the Battle of Helm's Deep. Not all of them, right? I mean, we do get the Legolas shield surfing and stuff, which, which briefly nods in that direction. Um, that was very brief, though. It yeah. is very brief. And it's, 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 it sort of shows, I mean, frankly, I think this is just, you know, Carolyn, one thing that I would say about it is that it's, in, to some extent, this is just Peter Jackson's style. You know, I mean, he's, he's, it's the kind of thing that he does. It's 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 the tone that he uses as, you know, as a as you know, the equivalent of a writer or a narrator's tone of voice. You know, to me, this is just this is kind of who Peter Jackson is, and and you know, but 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 I think also there's more to it than that. My sense, um, based in part upon the comments that Peter Jackson and others have made, um, is that they made the deliberate choice to have a comic edge to The Hobbit because they were trying to do two almost impossible things at the same time, or almost impossible to do at the same time. That is, to elevate the story to the epic level of the, of the Lord of the Rings, to tell it within that heroic framework of the later conception of Middle-earth and of this story, which I think is a really interesting project, as I've said all along. Um, but yet... They have wanted to and tried to preserve some of the comical tone, kind of the comical lightheartedness of the original published Hobbit. Which, in, I, I think is kind of an admirable goal, but in retrospect, I, I really wish they hadn't done that. I, I, I think they're trying to please too many people and, and end up yeah. pleasing none, uh, by doing that. I would, I would, I would as soon do without the attempts at comedy and lightheartedness, not all comedy necessarily, but again, that because Carolyn, that's where I see it more than anywhere else. It's in the sort of the cartoonish, the way that comedy enters into even the very serious things, even the, even the beheadings and the, and the, and the action sequences. That's where I see Jackson trying to basically interject that kind of lightness, which sometimes works. I mean, uh, the bomber barrel sequence was genuinely funny. I I I laughed several times yes. that I saw that sequence, and um, and uh, you know, so I, sometimes I thought it kind of it kind of worked. That was one of the places where I thought it was successful. Though, of course, I you know, Carolyn, we were still in a physics free zone at that point, but it didn't to me have this have the sort of larger undermining effect. I, I, I thought that the the bridge collapse, which is indeed, I think, all things considered, my least favorite moment uh, in an unexpected journey. Um, well, I did think of I did think of something that maybe could explain that. Okay. You know, you know, Gandalf seems to have this power with the staff that he can create a circle around himself. Right. Maybe that's what he did. 
Okay, so we have Gandalf like shielding them or like <laughs> sort of I'd, exactly. Yeah, exerting some kind of downward force yeah. to cushion yeah. their fall. Yeah. yeah. I, and if you don't analyze it too deeply, maybe. <laughs> pass, right? yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, you know, another example of that is in in the scene in Moria, mm-hmm. um, where the where the stone steps are going back and forth. Yes. I mean, you know, that was completely to me unbelievable. But people don't seem to be objecting as much to that as they are doing to some of the things in The Hobbit. Um, and I, to me, those kind of things almost have like a Rube Goldberg, you know, yeah. effect. Right. Or like a game I loved to play when I was a kid, Mousetrap. Yeah, I love that game. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, the the bomber barrel sequence reminds me of that. <laughs> and it was, I, I thought that was great. I thought that was really funny. And, you know, I, I do object to a lot of the, the violence being a little bit over the top, like the guy, you know, being attached to the log above above the barrel sequence, the the orc and they're you know throwing axes at him and stuff. I right. thought that was a little over the top. Right. Um, but you know, I can see why he's doing it too. I mean, it's it's kind of like a kid in a candy store, and um, yeah, and you know. this is clearly his. There, there's there's obviously an element of self indulgence in this for Peter yes. Jackson. It's just yes. what he likes, he likes you know. And I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't mean it's it's hard. To, I mean I know that to say that is like I know that like in doing that I've just been guilty of critfic. I totally understand that, but that's it's hard not to get that impression um, when you look at his yes. at his body of work as a whole. So you know if I retract the the critfic nature of the comment and simply say this is an obvious trend in Peter Jackson's films, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, without trying to yeah. get too much into his own psychology. It clearly occurs. There is a, there is a, there is a plain trend, uh, in his films for this stuff happening. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. This is why I do think, um, the action stuff, I, I mean, I could do without a lot of it. Some of it bothers me. Some of it doesn't bother me. Um, where I think, to me, that where where where, the mere fact of action happening, even the frequency of the action, um, none of that bothers me. Again, d- distinguishing between the action and violence, uh, you know, as as we were just saying, none of that bothers mm-hmm. me. The only thing that bothers yeah. me, and, and again, people say like I, I I object to him replacing plot with action. You know, I think that that's too facile a distinction, um, because. There are, in fact, things that are being forwarded in the... I mean, honestly, when I hear people say that, when I hear people say, instead of, like, moving, you know, the story forward, he's, like, abandoning the story and substituting action, it makes it makes me think of... Um, it makes me think of my wife talking about football, honestly. Um, that is to say... Oh, no. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Mrs. Tolkien. <laughs> and <laughs> and my wife likes to, my, likes football more than many women that I've known. Um, but yet they're like she has a relatively low tolerance for it. Um, and since she doesn't really enjoy watching it and does not like therefore really pay very close attention to it, she doesn't follow the story. She doesn't follow what's going on. It just looks like a big mess, a big jumbled mess to her. And so she just, so, so she sort of tends to be kind of dismissive of it. And like, you know, what's, you know, she, 
has a hard time sometimes seeing the interest yeah. uh, in what's going on there. Yeah. And I feel basically I feel sort of the same kind of thing. Like, you know, when I'm watching football, I find it very interesting. And what I find most interesting about it is, in fact, like the story. The nar- I love the narratives of sports of sports events. Um, mm-hmm. They are so interesting and so compelling. Like every single play in a football game has yeah. like fascinating stories and subplots. Um, if you yeah. only like can pay well, attention to I enough and break to- it down. I think. Football is football is one of the only sports that really does have that sort of, you know, um, suspense. Mm-hmm. You know, baseball you can go up with with ninth inning, two strikes or two outs, two strikes, and you can still win the game. Yeah, and you're down ten to nothing, <laughs> you know, which the Red Sox have done. Uh, <laughs> true, true. But uh, you know, I I think. And I think, too, that this kind of action, I think people may be comparing it more to The Lord of the Rings, which The Lord of the Rings is a much more introspective book. Mm-hmm. The Hobbit is is more, is more, you know, not superficial exactly, but more on that action level. Right. You know, it's more about what things happen to Bilbo. Right, but see, yeah. so I think it's a lot more forgivable in The Hobbit than it yeah, is, and, and than it is in, would be in The Lord of the Rings. And I would also say one of the so maybe people are you know comparing it too much right. to the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I also think that you know one of the things that I think actually The Hobbit is doing very well um, and not getting enough credit for is is non-verbal, non-dialogue development of character and story. This was most striking with Bilbo, of course, where there were a number of, you know, sort of comments that I was fielding or objections that I was fielding after the Desolation of Smaug came out where people were saying, oh, like, it was all action and no Bilbo. I would have wanted some actual character development from Bilbo. And I'm like, pay attention, people. There was enormous character oh, development from Bilbo. Yeah. It just wasn't it's verbal. It, like, it didn't happen. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, our attention wasn't drawn to it yeah. through dialogue, but it happened a lot. And you know what? A lot of the action sequences are where that stuff happens. You know, he uses the action, not always, sometimes, like, oh, you know, with the bomber barrel thing, it's, it's just silly in that moment. But there was a bunch, I mean, you know, we, and we talked about this a little bit. In the barrel sequence, we got some, a really complex interpersonal exchange between Thorin and Legolas during that that action sequence with the mm-hmm. the killing, the way that both of them saved each other's lives, though they didn't even both know that it was happening. That's- you know, that was in the context mm-hmm. of an action yeah. sequence. We got some very interesting character development of both of them. Like, their story arcs moved forward in some really fascinating ways and things were set up for later, but it was all in the context of people throwing axes and shooting arrows around. So when you have people who have that, again, this is where I come back to the, to the football thing. Mm-hmm. When you have people who don't like action movies. And who, as soon as weapons start flying around, they start doing like my wife when they are, when, when in a football play, they are running what she calls the pile up play in the middle. Um, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, that blocking scheme really failed. And my wife is like, why do they just run up in the middle and I'll jump on each other? That play never works. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, 
a lot of times, like there's a large segment of the audience, I think, who just like start rolling their eyes as soon as weapons start running around and don't really pay attention to what's happening. Yeah. And the same thing, Bilbo. Yeah. A lot well, of the one, stuff with Bilbo, yeah, with thing, Smaug, there was a lot of character development, even when Smaug is chasing him around. Like there were some important things going on there. That's right. Peter Jackson doesn't waste the action sequences. They're, no, they're most of them not. He does have characters doing a lot of interesting things during the, ac- the action sequences, but you have to you have to notice that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to pay a little. You have to kind of pay attention to what's going on rather than just looking at the arrows flying around too so yeah it's hard i mean and, and well, yeah, it's it's and, and and in part it is a style thing you know um you know that that it's this is the sort of yeah. a storytelling choice that jackson has made but i do argue that it's still a storytelling choice there's still story happening mm-hmm. but yeah. anyway sure i should probably stop ranting okay. on this subject well, we should now. probably move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so to get to our conundrum, then, um, and this conundrum will be tied to um, the Riddles in the Dark episode 3.01. Will Bolg and Azog both be at the Battle of Five Armies? And what do you think, Corey? Will they both be there? Well, the real question is what is Wither Bolg, right? I mean, he came out of nowhere. You know, he was like the comeback player of the year last year. Um, you know, from his complete disappearance <laughs> to his, to his, uh, uh, startling appearance. Uh, and in fact. That's right. You know. I didn't expect him at all. Uh, yeah, thought, that was. I thought we were done with Bolg. That was still my big eye-opening surprise moment of the, of the film when Azog cries out for Bolg in the answers. Um, but, uh, but where is he going from here? You know, is Legos gonna catch him and kill him? Is, is he gonna, I mean, he seems to be heading back to his father. Unless Legolas catches him, it seems to me unlikely that he's going to be killed before the Battle of Five Armies. I say yes, because mm-hmm. I think it would be kind of awesome. Uh, to. I mean, I, I've been saying, gosh, since like season one. Um, no, not season one, because of course in season one we weren't anticipating exactly what happened with Azog. Since season two, since we saw Azog uh, in the first film, um, I was saying that, you know, we get this really interesting sort of mirror image, complicated web of vengeance between Azog and Thorin. You know, you killed my grandfather, you cut off my arm, you, you know, what happened to my dad? What happened to my son? You know, there could be all, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, I I think that that can really play off, you know, they can really play off each other in some fascinating ways. So I'm, I'm not only yeah. am I hoping that Bolg and Azog will both be at the Battle of Five Armies, I'm hoping that Thorin kills Bolg, uh, and then ah. Azog is going to kill Thorin. I, I, st- I, I mean, I still believe that Thorin's going to die, and I suspect that Azog is going to kill him. Um, and then Bayorn will kill Azog. And then, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, because I, we'll I totally didn't predict that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but any, anyhow, yeah. So it's that's that's sort of the direction I think. Yeah. I think that that's gonna that that's yeah. gonna go. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say yes too. I think I think uh, they're definitely both gonna be there. Yeah. So where okay. else would Bolt be at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, unless, uh, unless Legos kills him. I mean, that would be a kind of a funny and a 
anticlimactic thing, you know, like, uh, yeah. Legolas goes herring off after, after Bulk, you know, there's this chase scene with them disappearing in the distance. And then we cut back to them near the beginning, you know, somewhere in the, in the first, you know, quarter of, uh, of, of, uh, there and back again. And, 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 and we just find Legolas catching up to him and killing him and then turning around and walking away. It's like, well, finally we resolved that little subplot. That was, you know, so yeah. I, I can't no, see I that happening. So. so, but I do think that, Legolas has a reason to go after Bull. There's going to be a reason why, but we'll get to that yeah. a little bit later with the next conundrum. Well, that's the end of this episode. Unfortunately, a malfunction in the recording equipment caused us to lose the second half of this episode, but we'll cover that the next time on Riddles in the Dark Super Erogatory. So for the Tolkien Professor, Corey Olson, this is Laura Burkholz. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. Mm-hmm.